Hello, my name is Derek Wayrosh. I'm the president and CEO of Palladium One Mining. Joining me today is Neil Pettigrew, vice president of exploration, as well as a director. Palladium One is an exploration stage company advancing two projects, one in Finland and one in Canada. Our focus is green transportation metals, so basically platinum group elements, copper, nickel, and cobalt. Derek, thank you for the introduction. Uh, nice to have you on the call. Uh, you too, Neil. Uh, welcome to this technical discussion uh, with Crux Investor. Thank you very much for having us. Appreciate it. Excellent. Derek, perhaps could you just um, could you, could you give us the introduction before we get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of it? Um, I, an additional introduction. Could you just um, um, take us through the? I think your lead project's in Finland, isn't it? So, so that's your kind of your flagship project. Could you just talk a little bit about where it's come from in the last year or two? Uh, what your key milestones are at the moment, and what you're aiming to do in 2022? Sure. Well, you're correct. Our flagship project is in Finland. It's the Latina Kalisma project. It's in north central Finland. We had our first resource at the Kakua zone back in September of 2019. We supplemented that with another resource in another zone called Hakiaho in September of last year, giving us an overall endowment of approximately 2.2 million ounces palladium equivalent. And uh, we have uh, completed, based on discovery we had about 18 months ago, uh, resource definition drilling in the Kakua South area. And we anticipate later on this quarter, or Q1 2022, uh, publishing a, an updated resource uh, estimate that uh, we anticipate will have a fairly significant uh, increase in our overall endowment. Coupled with that, we've been very actively working on de-risking the project through, uh, through metallurgy. We've started a, a program back in September, and that uh, work effort is also coming to uh, fruition and will be included in the, uh, the resource update. So I think in uh, this quarter, we're going to have two major catalysts. One, uh, the scale of the project is going to increase uh, a fair bit, as well a major uh, de-risking item with regards to metallurgy. Thank you. That's an excellent uh, summary. Could you um, bring up a map just so I can kind of get my visual brain, part, the visual part of my brain around where the historic resources and where the new resources? So I'll have to do that in two steps, I think. So hopefully you can see my screen here. Mm. We're in, in north central uh, Finland, and you can see where the, air, the star is in the, in the center of the country. But up yes. where our project is, we have this large conolith or connecting dike going across the, uh, the, the country. Our KS project is on the western side of that. It's about 20,000 hectare property package. But our focal point is the LK project. And I'll, I'll allow Neil to uh, step in and talk about the details of this entire Kalisma complex. But our focal point is very much up at the top where my cursor is. There's a little red dot there. Uh, that is the Kakua area. And I'll just flip ahead here, uh, zooming sorry, into that. Yeah. Sorry, so could we just go back to that map? Just, can you just, I just want to... Um, just want to orientate myself so I can see your star in the middle of um, um, in, in the middle of Finland in 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 the in the in the big map on kind of the, the map below uh, between Lapia and Ulo. Um, there's a Anglo American have got a um, they've got a Sakari they've got the Palladium Sakari, project there yeah. haven't they? Um, where Sakati? Where is that relative to that to your um, license? To the north of us actually, right? So um, they're a bit more sort of north central Finland in that location. So we're really kind of in a very traditional mining area where we were, there was actually a vanadium mine in the Kalisma complex here where our property is. 
And so we're very close to all the processing facilities that are just on the, uh, you know, on the coast there with uh, central Finland. And the, 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 sorry, then the dike that goes to the east, does that connect up with um, any of the Norilsk kind of um, ground, the kind of the Kola Peninsula stuff, or was that also further north? Okay, so the, the Norilsk stuff is actually a bit younger. So this is Paleo-Protozoic here, but a similar rift-style environment. And so there is stuff on the Russian side in the Kola Peninsula that has similarities to the Kolisma complex, PGE-rich mm. disseminated mineralization, and that is of a similar age. Um, there was a very large rifting event uh, that actually produced this uh, intrusion and several others in this area. And so that's one of the reasons that we're really in this area is that these rifting events produced the Norilsk score body, the largest uh, nickel deposit in the world. And uh, the stuff that we are looking at had a similar history. And so these are very large magmatic events. And they've produced, in the case of Kalisma complex, uh, bulk tonnage disseminated mineralization at surface as well as the potential for massive sulfides in that uh, connecting dike that you see there. So that's more of a feeder or conolith type system. Okay, sorry, so Derek, I interrupted you. We were just about to make some uh, point. Are you gonna take us onto the next slide, onto that, uh, that um, um, schematic? Yes, well, while yeah. we start here, maybe best for Neil to explain uh, the geology. Certainly, so what you're seeing on that original slide is how the prof geology looks now. Because this is an old rift, the Paleoprotozoic, it's been through a little bit of deformation and metamorphism since it was emplaced. And so originally, um, the topography looked very much like what is in my backyard here in the mid-continental rift in North America on the shores of Lake Superior. You had a very large pancake-like intrusion, which is the Colisma complex. And at the base of that intrusion, you had this very complex hybrid zone where it digests part of the wall rock and precipitates the copper nickel PGE mineralization. All right, so can you just can you um Derek, can you point to that where that's happening on the on the sketch so that we so so where's the digestion happening? Right along that and, lower contact, you can see layering in the MS. The MS is the marginal series of rocks, and it's a very okay. complex zone of multiple phases of intrusive and digestion of the orthonice uh, wall rock. So you're digesting the stuff underneath as the hot magma comes out through the top. Correct. Yeah. Okay, And it's that interaction, of course, of the wall rock, which is allowing the precipitation of the, uh, the monosulfide solid solution series, right? So that's a classic so, situation that you would have at uh, um, South America or South Africa as well with the flat reef. So, so just, just to put that in kind of slightly different ways is that the, the, the metals are being carried in the magma. Correct. And when it, when it changes, when it, when it hits a different chemistry, which is the wall rock, when the chemistry alters, it's a set effectively, the pressure hasn't changed, the temperature hasn't changed, and therefore it must be a chemical reaction that causes the precipitation of the sulfide. Because it has to be one of those three. It's literally the incorporation of extra silica into the magma, right, as it assimilates the wall rock that allows the sulfide to precipitate out. So it's along that bottom layer that you get pervasive or kind of... Um, um, not the pervasive isn't the right word, but um, um, not not even uniform, but uh, in many areas, well, perhaps per per pervasive is widespread might be the way. So literally widespread, you know, there's yeah. uh, we control over 38 kilometers of that favorable contact. Right. And the current resources we have only sit in about three kilometers of that 38. And it's a huge property and very target rich. And along that entire layer, we've had historic drilling by the Geological Survey of Finland and Otto Kampu that showed that it is mineralized. 
Um, where we've had our success is just finding the sweeter spots along it using IP because there are areas that are a bit higher grade along that marginal series and thicker. You know, we have mineralization over uh, true widths of up to 100 meters in some areas. You know, the average thickness of the material is more around the 15, 20 meter um, thickness. Yeah. But I think and it's also important to point out that when this was in initially in place, it was quite deep and we ordinarily wouldn't be able to chase this mineralization. There's been subsequent uh, thrusting, et cetera, occurring and breaking up of this uh, pancake sill, as you can see down the bottom part of this image, that has brought that marginal series to surface where it outcrops at the Kakua area or is only under about uh, nine or 10 meters of overburden in Kakua South. Okay, so um, that schematic at the top there, is that, um, um, I can see that it's kind of multiple kilometers uh, between A and A prime. What about um, in and out of the screen. Is it a kind of a, a like an inverted mushroom, which has got three dimensions, or is it yeah. a is is it a kind of more of a dike feature? So that big pancake has been broken up, as you can see, with A and B, which is uh, both tensional and compressional. And what's that done is it's brought that marginal series to surface over a very large area, right? So now when you look at the intrusion, it's actually in about four big blocks that you see in the the right hand corner there, right, with the different names: Kakua, Lipiavera. Kusunjarvi and Potivara and Soyot. And so, you know, when you look at it now, it looks like separate intrusions, but it's really not. These are just faulted off blocks of the original large intrusion. But it's that deformation that's really been key. And that's what's turned this into an open pit target. You know, if the deformation had not occurred, all that mineralization would be the base of this very large pancake and it would be interesting academically, but it would not be economic. But now it's exposed at surface. And that's really what's made this, this open pit target. Okay. And just, just remind me, the, the LS, is that the layered series or is that the... Um, LS is layered series. So the there la is layering the layered within the complex. Uh, remember I said there was a vanadium mine originally in this Kalisma complex. When you get in the higher series, you get much more iron titanium rich layers, uh, so much so that it became economic to, uh, to mine it in the past. And there's still been attempts at uh, restarting that mine. Derek, thank you. Perhaps could you um, drop the screen now? Certainly. Neil, just I've got a question about the um, the, the 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 host rock, the wall rock, yep. into which it's intruded. Obviously, that um, well, not obviously, but um, can it be seen visually? Is it kind of a a, a whiter, lighter, grayer um, rock that you can tell when you're in the mine series? Um, yes, but it's a very gradational contact. So the layered series gradually transitions into what we call the marginal series. And the marginal series has a very complex relationship with the footwall rocks, the country rock, because it partially assimilates it. Plus, there's all these different sills and dikes that intrude it. And, you know, mm -hmm. mega breaches occur along that contact as well. And so we have what we call the hybrid gabbro unit. And it's really a dog's breakfast. It uh, goes from mafic ultra mafic dominated to, you know, um, orthonice dominated over the span of 10, sometimes 50 or more meters. And even into the country rock, several hundred meters away, you'll still get uh, ultramafic uh, sills and gabbro lenses and stuff like that. So this is a very complex contract. And that's very good because that means there's been a ton of activity and heat throw up the slide with the IP there. That visually shows uh, what we're talking about right now. Sure.
So this is, is really the, uh, the meat and potatoes of it. Up in the top right corner, you can see that in the Kakua area, we've discovered a seven kilometer long chargeability anomaly and the various intensities are shown in, in the lighter or darker colors. Yep. We have drilled across the whole darn thing, but quite frankly, seven kilometers is a, is a lot of space. So we took a decision to focus in on one area, which would be the Western side of it as outlined in the, in the blue. But looking at the larger image, the existing resource envelope or pit constrained resource is inside this yellow outline, whereas the resource definition drilling we've completed is inside the red outline. So eyeballing, you can see that we have an expectation that this thing is going to get a, a fair bit uh, larger. Nice, 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 nice. And um, did you we'll talk about the kind of the widespread um, nature of this kind of mineralizing event? Are, are you seeing um, similarities in the, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to try and kind of extrapolate too much, but um, are, are there significant variations in the geology that you're seeing across this, or is it relatively consistent across this, um, uh, the additional meters? There kilometers? are some variations within the Kalisma complex itself. You got to remember how this thing is quite a large thing, right? You know, it was it probably had an aerial extent of 75 kilometers or something at one time. And so in the Kakua area, we see higher PGEs, lower copper nickel. So the tenor of the sulfide is much more weighted towards the PGEs. And in our Hakiaho zone, which is more to this 20 kilometers to the south, um, it's flipped. And so the value is predominantly in the copper nickel with a bit lower PGEs. And so we really kind of focused our efforts in the Kakua area. Uh, the map you're seeing right now is the uh, the Kakua area showing in red dots the Kakua resource as well as the Hakiaho resource. So, you know, we have over a million ounces in Kakua and we have over a million ounces down at Hakiaho currently in 43 compliant resources. And you can see in the blue lines where we've done all the IP because it's been very helpful in chasing this. And uh, so, yes, there are variations. Um, it's uh, subtle though, right? So the mineralization looks in hand very similar from Kakua to Hakiaho, uh, but when yeah. you get the assays back, you can see the variation. Okay, so this this is really helpful. Thank you. So um, the the Kakua indicated inferred resources there. You've got eleven million tons of indicated and just under eleven million tons of inferred. That was published in twenty nineteen, September nineteen. Right. And then that um, Hakiaho was the thirty three million tons was published in September twenty twenty one. Correct. Correct. And given the way that the grades fell, you emphasize the technical work on extending Kakua. Um, and are you going, it did, is the work going to take that 11 million tons you defined in the inferred? Is that going to be taken up to a higher category? Have, basically, have you done some infill drilling on that to bring it up? Um, yeah, there will uh, be a, a significant portion of the new resource and indicated as well. All right, so right here, we're seeing about 50-50 of the historic resource and indicated and inferred. Um, you know, somewhere near that ratio will probably carry over into the new resource. So yes, there'll be a significant upgrade in both the indicated and inferred uh, for the Kakua area. And um, Haukiaho will stay the same. So you haven't in we, the we, past 15 we've months. Not done additional, yeah, we've not done additional work at Haukiaho since we published the resource in September of last year. Our focus has been at Kakua because of the elevated PGs. Yeah. So we put about 2,500 meters into Hakiaho so that we could upgrade it to the 4301 uh, status. Uh, but we put 25,000 meters into uh, Kakua. Uh, 
Khan Ahmed story. I, I, I um, was reading um, reading stuff from the screen. <laughs> Sorry, I we, said. we put about twenty five years into it. Because rate is higher. Correct. And so you know, back to uh, the Kakua area. I'd like to get a key for Kakua. So at Hakiaho, it's one zone, the marginal series, right? But at Kakua, yeah. we have what we call the upper zone. Remember, I said this is basically the top of the marginal series, and yep. it's. It's got combinations of the marginal series as well as reef style mineralization. So at the very top, you can see there's a very narrow zone of uh, reef style mineralization. And then there's a broad zone of lower grade as it gets into the marginal series. And then at the bottom of the marginal series, you'll see the mineralization sitting there at the contact. And you can see it overlaps with the contact because of that hybrid zone where you have digestion of the footwall. Sorry, could you, I, I, can you, um, Derek, can you drive the I can follow that. Okay, so the upper zone is on the upper left. And yeah. that is lower grade than the main lower zone, but it has great effluence on the geometry of the future And so that really helps the strip ratio for going deeper on the lower zone. Okay. And um, the... Okay, so you, in, in, in the smaller writing underneath, you've got the average, you've got the grades of the palladium as well. So, yeah, seven grams per ton palladium equivalent over eight meters, which is 0.62 palladium, 0.26 platinum, 0.03 gold, 0.1 copper, 0.14 nickel. So, essentially, this is going to be carried on the palladium. The palladium yeah. makes up about half of the value of the ore, but really, Unlike some other palladium deposits like Stillwater, where, you know, it's going to be 80, 90 percent of the ore, we are carried here quite a bit with other metals. So this is where we kind of branch in from not just precious metals to battery metals as well. This is substantial copper, nickel, and including some cobalt that come with this uh, this resource, right, as well as platinum and gold. Yeah, so when you, when you look at our, on a recovered basis based on the historical network and the current resources, you're looking at roughly 50% of the, uh, the recovered value being in palladium, platinum, and gold, and roughly 50% in copper, nickel, and cobalt. Right, 50% palladium and gold, and 50% in copper, nickel, and cobalt. Um, what? Presumably, you're going to have a flotation. Um, Correct. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's in your presentation. You're talking about kind of a, a very small mass pool. So you 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 grind grind the rock. You reject ninety eight and a bit percent of it, and you keep one point six percent. And that is a is a nickel concentrate or a cobalt concentrate? Uh, a copper cobalt. Uh, Copper concentrate. Um, so uh, there's historical work in our presentation, right? And so that wasn't done by us. Right now, we've been undertaking a massive metallurgical exercise. We shipped literally more than a metric ton of material uh, to SGS's lab here in Canada. And we are looking at doing a separate copper and nickel con as well to increase the value of it. Um, but even if you look at the work that's been done previously, the Kakua deposit has produced a very saleable con, a very valuable con, even in comparison to many other um bulk cons that have been marketed in the past right and that's because of the pgs so you know people look at it from the copper nickel grades but really you have to add up the value of the pgs that are in that con right so that's really kind of what we're going to be have is we're going to have a very pge rich base metal con to, for the sell from this project uh, but it has to go to it has to go to a p it has to go to a platinum a smelter that can process pgs no 
most of them can. So, I mean, all nickel ones obviously do. And the majority of copper smelters also do well. In fact, copper smelters pay you even more quite often for the PGs. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a product that you're going to get paid for. You know, that's, that's not a question there. And, uh, you know, we are actually quite happy with the value of the cons that this project produces. I think as we sit here today, the key takeaway is that they were able to historically produce a saleable bulk concentrate via conventional flotation, didn't have any deleterious elements, even the MGOs were kept below 4%. Mass pull, as you said, was quite low. The, uh, the concentrate grade was excellent. Unfortunately, they didn't optimize the uh, the process. So what we've been doing with the MetWork since September has been really a, a, a very detailed study where we're looking at the various characteristics of the feed, the concentrate, the tailings. We're actually doing lock cycle testing so we can properly simulate uh, plant operations and define a process flow. But in addition to that, rather than just focusing in on testing a representative master composite, we're also testing both the upper and lower zones separately and yep. the various lithologies. But not only just the various lithologies, we're also testing low, medium, and high grade within each of those lithologies. The output of all that work is very near uh, completion. We're actually just waiting for the last of the variability assays to come in. And all that data will be incorporated into the block model. So while we're you're coming out here with a resource from a metallurgical perspective, it's going to have a substantial uh, de-risking relative to perhaps other projects that might be at this stage. And that's quite by design. And will you publish um, the the metallurgical test work? Because um, I mean, I, just just uh, payability, of course, is crucial on, on these complex sulfides, and you know what you can get out the back end of your. I mean, essentially, you'll be defining your 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 resource blocks on your NSR. So you'll obviously have kind of assumptions in well, that. Pay, yeah, payability is a little bit of a different question because you got to go through the marketing study, right? So what we're focusing in on is what is the concentrate going to look like? Yeah. Whether it be bulk, nickel, or copper, are each of those marketable? And then we need yeah. to go through a concentrate marketing study to say which is going to ultimately give us the maximum payabilities. As you probably know, putting you know material through a, a copper concentrator on a per ton basis is far less expensive than um, from a treatment charge perspective than it is from a nickel smelter. So, to the extent that yeah. we can we can actually have a high value copper and a high value nickel uh, concentrate, that may be more economic than just putting all having all the material together in in one bulk. And. Um... In the, the in your presentation, the historic concentrate grades, you've got a four and a half percent nickel and an eleven a bit percent copper. Is that going to change? I mean, is, are you looking for kind of a step change there, or is well, it, it'll it'll certainly change. We can't guide to what the results are. We're not, we're not quite there yet, but uh, yeah. I think you should uh, anticipate fairly similar uh, numbers to what was produced previously. The, the the difference is that the historical work was done on a master composite that had a higher average grade than what the resource actually is. And so our job is really to ensure we have that same recovery rate at a more yes, representative yes. sample. And that, that is really the key, uh, the key item. Yeah. In our yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Neil, I'm sure you've got many views on representative representative oh, samples. Oh, yeah. Well, I was obviously <laughs> responsible for pulling this rep sample out. And the last one really wasn't that bad, right? So, you know, it was done on a, a ratio-wise, a very similar number of rock types uh, making up sample that we did on ours. It just that ours is so much larger, right? So it pulls from not just Kakua, but Kakua South as well. And, you know, quite literally, there's, you know, probably 40 different holes that went into that uh, mm. that sample. Mm. So it's a very representative sample and we're doing variability testing, not just on the composite sample, but on individual rock types, right? So four different rock types, high and medium, low grades to in order to get a grade recovery curve. So as Derek alluded to before, we're really going above and beyond uh, metallurgically for a simple resource update. We have our eyes on futures PEA and more advanced studies as well. Um, and, great. I just, and just to follow up on one of the comments, um, you know, I think it's really important not to get hung up on what the grade is of a specific metal in the concentrate. You got to look at what's the value of the metals in the concentrate and how does that stack up from a smelter's perspective to other materials they're getting. So for example, in, uh, in Sudbury, the average concentrate grade at prices similar to today is probably around $3,500 per ton, right? So if we, for example, produced a concentrate that had a higher value, one would think it has um, more interest to the smelters because there's a greater opportunity to make money. So benchmarking our concentrate value to other concentrates, I think, is, is a key thing. And we're really focusing in on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, on that historic concentrate, you had 36 grams per ton palladium, which is, um, you know, that's over an ounce and that's over two and a half thousand dollars. You know, that contributes. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. Good. Well, um, what's... Um, in the immediate pipeline, you've got the resource, the metallurgical study. Um, uh, are you going to sit back and smoke a cigar after that and have a glass of champagne or, um, or maybe both? Maybe, maybe do that and um, <clears throat> march on. Well, we, you know, when, uh, shortly after the discovery, it was very clear to us that we had a potentially credible mining scenario of scale. And I think we're demonstrating scale right now. We're doing the de-risking with the metas we've talked about. The other element that uh, is front and center in our mind is you got to be able to permit it, right? We are in the EU. The EU has, has gone uh, you know, greener over time. And we want to take the steps and advance the, our understanding of the permittability. So we started our baseline sampling last year. We've signed up for you know, a lot of baseline work that'll carry over over the course of this year, really looking at potential gating issues for the, uh, the project. Now, we're very fortunate where we happen to be. We have excellent roads. We have high voltage power. We have water. We're not in the hinterland. And it, even perhaps more important is the forests that are on top of the deposit are actually basically tree farms. So they're disturbed forests with drainage ditches and the like. But nonetheless, we're going through the various steps. So you'll see um, us in the background, because it's not going to be that visible, working on advancing and de-risking from a permitting perspective. But as well, once this resource comes out, we'll be looking at, as Neil had indicated earlier, putting together some economics uh, via a preliminary economic assessment for the latter part of this year. And really that's in order to allow investors to not have to subscribe a, a certain value per in situ ounce so they can actually have a better idea of what the, uh, the NPV on the project uh, could be. Are you, are you going to explain 
explore the the remaining four kilometers to the east, or is that for the future? Well, we we will. We are looking for uh, additional permissions to be able to uh, drill more into that bullseye that's on the far eastern side. We've got one section into it. We got uh, resource grade material there, but we need to get the permissions so we can uh, continue to drill there. But again, that that segment that we saw in that image, it's only seven kilometers of 38 kilometer contact. So mm-hmm. we, and we have a plethora of drill targets. There's really no, no problem there. So we will be looking more at a regional basis as well. So it's a combination of trying to put a critical scenario together for the mine and balancing um, the usage of cash for making it bigger. And with a view to a PEA next year? No, no at PEA we're looking late, second half of this year. Okay. Okay, good. Um, and uh, my question was, I was going to ask about the exploration licenses. Are they, um, because in, in Finland, you've got these kind of two tiers, don't you? One is kind of, oh, you've got a two-year period to hold them, and then you can flip them into um, a more secure, but slightly more expensive um, level of tenure. And have you, can you just describe what you've done over the full 35 kilometers? You know, what's, what's in which tier? Yeah, the there's a few different segments, but the way it works in Finland is you have what's known as a reservation. You can apply to get a reservation. That gives you a priority right to turn that property into an exploration permit. When you have a reservation, as you said, it's it's a free carry for a couple of years, and you can undertake a tremendous amount of exploration activities with the exception of things that are going to be highly disruptive to the soil, such as drilling. Unless, of course, the underlying landowner gives you permission, and we have had that on some of the property packages. Um, but once you get through that reservation period, you then apply for uh, the, the permit, and that is given for a 15-year period, and it's in tranches. You basically have to re-up every two to three years uh, based on the activities that you had indicated you would be doing. So we hold the property in a number of different uh, packages. I think in total, there's about 18 or sorry, eight different uh, claim numbers. And some of which are in the reservation stage, some of which are in the permit application stage and others are in the the permit stage. Great. Thank you. Um, And do you have a kind of a budget figure for what you're going to be spending in terms of, or um, it, I mean, have, having done so much drilling with the PEA coming, um, does that mean you're kind of into slightly lower cost study phase, or are you going to be allocating kind of a significant chunk of your kind of your, your dollars to Finland, or is there going to be more dollars going into um, Canada? Yeah, we, we did a, uh, effectively a private placement to a precious metal fund back in, uh, in December. And uh, that gave us for year end a total of about $15 million cash on hand, 5 million of which is dedicated strictly to our Canadian project, which we can talk about. And therefore $10 million for Finland uh, and, and overhead costs. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, that's, sounds like a good time to um, jump to Canada. So um New discovery, uh, well, recent discovery. Could you perhaps, give, um, Derek, give, give us an overview before we jump into the slides? Sure. Well, I'll let uh, Neil do it. He, he, he gets the credit for the discovery as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Um, so do you want to throw that uh, one up there, Derek? Sure. Actually, I'll, I'll talk to that one. So, yeah, so the Tycho project 
was actually the original project that uh, came with the company when Derek and I did the reorganization back in 2019, back when the company was known as Nipple One. And it's a earlier stage project located in Ontario, not too far from my uh, back door in Thunder Bay. And it's more base metal rich. So really more nickel copper dominated. There isn't that much PGEs with it. And it's very much uh, an atypical type uh, geology. So here we are in the black pick batholith, a tonalite orthonice. And in that, you know, you have the, it was originally a metasedimentary belt that was broken up by this batholith and was intruded by mafic ultramafic uh, intrusions. And now mm. you have that all floating out there in the batholith. And because it was in the batholith, it was never mapped by the Ontario Geological Survey. You know, it was what we call turnaround rock when you're mapping, right? You hit the white rock, turn around and go back, map the green, greenstone belt. And so very little is known about this project. We knew way more about our project in Finland than we did about Tycho. But uh, in 2019, we ran a line of soils over the Smoke Lake EM anomaly. And this EM anomaly had been sitting out there at the very edge of an old 1980s Naranda survey looking for uh, zinc actually at that time. And no one had bothered to check it out in 40 years. Well, that single line of soil returned, you know, several hundred PPM nickel in soil. And so, oh, well, we obviously knew we, there was something there. And then the very first hole chewed in the massive sulfide at surface. And as you can see in the lower left of the slide, you know, there's 10% nickel equivalent at surface here. Um, a very rich discovery. And what it really did is kind of opened our eyes to the larger property because we we're like, okay, before there was just the RJ, the Tycho, and the Shabotic, which were, you know, similar type metal ratios, but more disseminated to Blebi sulfide. It wasn't massive sulfide like smoke. So it really kind of said, okay, this property can host massive sulfide. And we've been working at filling in that information gap by doing, uh, you know, large high resolution V10 max survey. And that really kind of helped because it brought together four new multi-line EM conductors that you see outlined here, West Pickle Lake, Bulldozer North, Bulldozer South and Coop Lake. And so it's really, this property is a very much the developing story. It's uh, not at the resource stage yet, obviously, um, because literally this discovery was made, as Derek said, just about a year ago. And this is the mineralization at Smoke Lake itself. As you can see here, those are pentlandite eyes that quite literally are the size of nickels. And so very rich. Um, but it has been disrupted. And so the original plumbing has been disrupted by the imposition of the black pick batholith and it's transposed everything into the plane of the foliation of the orthonice. And so we're very much reliant on geophysics to continue to chase this thing. And so what we have in the lower left here is a very large magnetic body that seems to underlie uh, the smoke lake zone highlighted in yellow. And so we do have a hole into the west of this but we haven't tested the east. And really what's kind of holding us up with Tycho is, is drill permits. When we originally permitted this thing, it was for some soil samples over smoke and we've exhausted those drill pads that we had permitted at that time. And so we're well advanced into the permitting process for many more holes for all these other targets. And we're hoping to see those come um, sort of early this spring. Ah, okay. There's the, there's the, uh, the legend that I was looking for, which is the strong conductor, the moderate conductor and the weak conductors. So, Correct. um, so if I'm not um, mistaken, you had a, can you just go back to the, 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 the overview slide? Sure. Just, um, so smoke lake is actually a weak conductor there. A smoke lake but, is a strong conductor. There's a bit of red, as you can see in behind it. Right. So there's uh, some red there. You've got to remember a strong conductor isn't necessarily 
always going to be what you want, right? It depends on the orientation of the sulfide conductor, its depth, you know, that kind of stuff as to whether it, it uh, shows itself as strong or weak, right? So yeah, some and of I've these also, other conductors are... I've, um, go ahead. I've, I've drilled plenty of barren yeah. um, pyrotite. And yes, not all as strong I'll, ones are one you want uh, either, right? So yeah. graphite, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So what we've got, though, and is interesting is that, yes, some of the other conductors did not get as strong a response to smoke, but smoke, you got to remember, is 10% nickel over four meters at surface. That makes, like, it's really the highest conductor you can actually see. If it was any more conductive, it would have to be blind to the darn survey. So West Pickle Lake is looking very much like the extension of RJ. And if we were at that slide that we were before, we've got soil anomalies over every one of these multi-line conductors. So the success rate we're having at Tyco is extraordinary. Literally, we get an EM anomaly, we go in and take the soils, you get this massive soil anomaly, like Bulldozer South has got you know, almost 900 ppm copper. And it's not just one sample, it's in dozens of samples that we've got over 500 ppm copper. Uh, high nickel, high cobalt, so very much a nickel cobalt signature out of all four of these multi-line anomalies. And the reason that we're having the success is this is an area that just hasn't been explored because it's in the bathlift, right? It is atypical. And so it's really kind of like back to the Wild West days where you're going into an area for the very first time. And I think that's a great deal of why we're having the success here at Tyco. Um, could you? Um, thank you. Um, what's the glacial till cover here? What's the exposure situation? What's the kind of the, the, the ground conditions? Is it, is it wet? Can you work in the winter? Can you work in the summer? It's actually a bit rugged. So for, you know, we're in what we call the superior highlands. So there's, there's a fair amount of exposure, but also a lot of till depending on where you are. So it's a mix of hill, valley, bog, and swamp. Um, but I would say it's much drier than normal for my neck of the woods. So, you know, you're up high, as we say. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of these are dry land targets, right? Um, you can drill yeah. year round. Um, we actually have excellent road access on the east side of the project. Uh, you can drive within 500 meters of the Smoke Lake Anomaly with a half ton truck. So Brilliant. It's, a, uh, it's not something that uh, that is difficult to work at all. You know, and um, you said you had problems with the drill permits at uh, Smoke Lake itself. But what about, or was, or was it Tyco in, in general? I mean, where, where, can, tell me what you'll be able to drill this year um, well, not, and where you are in that permit. And not problems. Just we've applied for permits that we, we haven't applied to them, right? So the permitting process, you know, they say it can happen in three months, but there's very few people that it happens in three months. Six months to nine months is more typical these days. Plus COVID avoting in causes additional delays, right? There's no one in the office. You know, you've got to email individual people at the government right now. Um, so, you know, the same with the First Nations, you know, you've got to ex expect a bit of a lengthier timeline. For instance, the, the Smoke Lake term permit took us about eight months, start to finish. And that was during the worst period of COVID, right? Back in yeah. 2020. So, yeah. you know, we are now coming up at around a similar time frame um, for the permits that we've applied for. You know, we applied for these basically in early September. Yep. So, you know, that unfortunately is the reality of operating in Canada these days is your permits don't happen overnight. You know, um, you know, Finland is the same thing. It's a multi-month process to get a, a permit applied for, but there is a process to be followed, right? Oh, it's it's not easier in Ecuador, I can assure you. Um, um do you, does it is it the same uh, um, timeline for all of your targets? Because you've got so many targets within that Tyco um, project area. You might you get some earlier and some later, or are they going to say here are all of them, or does it depend on target by target? 
Yeah. So there's, there's literally like five different permits. <laughs> so right. I'm not sure which ones I'll get first, which ones I'll get last. Um, you know, you, you have to break it up. The property is huge. Remember it's over 30 kilometers across. And right. so, you know, this is a, uh, a very large project. And in order to do all the consultation, you really kind of have to break it up into individual ones. So we will get some of those. I won't forget all of them. I expect we'll probably get the bulldozer, which I'm particularly interested in because that's a very large Mayfield Ultra Mayfield complex that's less broken up by the Bathlet. Um, so I really can't answer that question as to which one we'll get first, but uh, I expect to get enough to be owner drilling very shortly. Well, I'm, I'm just, my, my brain hasn't quite got round the geology yet. So you've got the, you're saying that there's a big Bathleth which has been intruded by the bulldozer intrusion. Is that? Well, the, everything's earlier. So the Bathleth is last. So this is why I call it atypical. So originally this was a metasedimentary belt. And right. then you had the intrusion of the mafic ultramafic intrusions, including the bulldozer, which is a very large, you know, 15 kilometer yeah. cross intrusion. Then you had the bath lift come up and it's digested uh, that meta sediment, but it does not digest mafic ultramafic rock very easily and it really can't digest sulfide. And so you, we call it a dirty bath lift. When you go walk over it, there's all kinds of clasts of meta sediment and you come across some mafic ultramafic clasts and large roof pendants. And the bulldozer is largely intact. It's marbled by dikes of tonalite, but it's not as broken up as we see in, for instance, smoke, which is completely transposed into the foliation of the orthodice. And so it's that complexity that's really kept people out of this area is that, you know, people say, well, it's in the bathlet, there's nothing there. Uh, there's a lot preserved in the bathlet. And so, you know, I, I use some examples on some of like uh, Broken Hill. Broken Hill is in a nice, you know, it's, it's preserved because it could not assimilate it, right? So you've got, there's potential in these areas. And so, as I said, we're having quite a lot of success because we're in an area where no one has bothered to look before. So it's, it's half digested. It's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm getting it slowly. Yeah. I, I, I learned by repetition. So the tonalite is a light colored rock. Yep. Um, and the orthonice tonalite batholith is a light colored rock, which typically doesn't in people's minds host no magmatic sulfides or nickel mineralization is kind of it's typically people view these things as barren that's why when the geologists first went up to it, they called it turnaround rock but actually yeah. by intruding into uh sulfide rich zones it partially assimilates them and has preserved them as subvertical vestigial remnants or rafts and yeah so in, in the case of smoke it's actually sort of physically injected it and so you get to have tonalite on both contacts of massive sulfide with no mafic ultra mafic rock other than classed within the sulfide itself now parts of it do actually host in mafic ultra mafic like it should but that's very weird so like if you go on surface where we've actually stripped it off you'll actually see a lens of massive sulfide in tonalite on both and contacts. and you've done geochemistry across the region you've done have you got regional geophysics the regional geophysics was flown last summer. That was that first image that showed really high resolution VTEM max. And that was actually very helpful because that was the most sensitive system that's ever been employed. And we actually got multi-line anomalies in the bulldozer intrusion where no one had before and had been flown twice before in the past. And so what I think we have in the bulldozer is it's not quite massive sulfide. It's probably in the net textured. So just barely enough to conduct, but it was enough to get us out there and do the soils. And boy, did those soils ever kick. And so, you know, this is um, very much a developing story, you know, on that front. I expect to get a drill on the bulldozer here in the next couple of months and hopefully have a new discovery to report out there. How exciting. I mean, I, I don't uh, um, pay any disrespect to the stuff in Finland, but, you know, as a, as a geologist, this, this is just kind of what a great story. 
Well, we call Finland our farming exercise, right? So the Kalisma complex with that contact is that Derek loves it because we basically budget for how many ounces we will find along that marginal phase, right? We do the IP, we do the drilling, and then, you know, this should get so many ounces for this many kilometers of uh, strike. Whereas, yes, Tycho was very much drill that hole, make that discovery. Smoke was very much like that, right? The first hole chewed in the mass with sulfides, I think down 15 meters down the hole. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's a developing story there at Tycho and, you know, it could be very large. It's just that Finland is so much more advanced, right? You know, we're talking yeah. about uh, PEA work later this year. And so, you know, it's a, two very different stages are these two projects. Uh, thank you both so much. I, I have been on a, a massive learning curve listening to this um, this talk. I hope the viewers will get the same experience. Um, Derek, um, would you like to kind of add anything, um, kind of any closing remarks? Well, I, I very much thank you for your uh, your interest, and hopefully uh, this has been very worthwhile for uh, for the, your various uh, viewers. And we're all, always available to uh, to answer questions if somebody would uh, be interested in uh, contacting us. That'd be wonderful. But uh, certainly, feel free to join our uh, mailing list and uh, visit us at uh, various conferences that we will be uh, attending, both in North America and in Europe. I will do. Great. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you very much.